0: Lord, we just want to exalt you and praise you this morning as we go into your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would just by the Holy Spirit minister to us and speak to us today. And uh, Father, we just are want to hear from the Holy Spirit and hear from your word today. Because Lord, we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. And Lord, we're here because we want to be free in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're doing a, a series called Level Up. And uh, today we want to do the second part of this series. Joel started it last week with a, with a great message. If you weren't here for that or you haven't heard it, I want to encourage you to do so. It sets the tone for the whole series that we have on re- relationships, which is what Level Up is. And today I want to talk about this part two of what Joel was talking about last week. And I want to talk about honesty. And uh, Joel uh, gave a couple of scriptures to start off with, and I want to pull those scriptures back up on the... Uh, on the screen this morning, uh, J- Jesus had a had a, an encounter with a guy that we call the rich young ruler. And this man asked Jesus what he needed to do to have eternal life. And, uh, and so what commandments he needed to keep. And so if, in, in part of that conversation, uh, Jesus made this comment to him in Mark chapter 12. Uh, in verse 28, let's read there. It says, what commandment is the foremost of all? That's what this guy asked Jesus. And Jesus answered, the foremost is hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so we're taking this portion of scripture because this was all about relationships Relationships, first of all, with, with our with God, our Father, with Jesus, but also relationship with one another. And uh, one of the 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 verses, the part of the verse that we want to key in is is the second commandment, which says, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." And so Joel brought out last week that if I'm healthy inside, my ability to love my neighbor as myself depends on how whole I am as a person. That we we love ourselves intensely. And that's why Jesus used this illustration. But how I love myself has a great bearing on how I'm going to love you. And so that if I'm messed up inside and hurting inside, then it will come out of my life. And it will affect my ability to enter into relationships, which is what this series is all about. So if I have a poor self-image, if I'm unhealthy emotionally, if I'm unhealthy spiritually, it's going to affect my ability to connect with my fellow man and also to connect with God. Now we know that uh, one of the other scriptures we looked at last week was uh, the scripture right in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden where uh, Adam, and Eve and, Abba, Adam and Eve have fallen uh, and because of Eve being tempted by, by Satan and Adam's straight disobedience. They fell. And uh, God showed up and he realized that Adam and Eve are now broken. And so he prophesied to the devil, actually, and he gave a prophetic word which affected the enemy and also perfected, also affected us. In Genesis 3:15, he prophesied this. He said, "I will put enmity between you, that Satan and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bru- and you shall bruise him on the heel." And so, the bruise on the head is a fatal wound. And we say, well, when was Satan bruised on the head at the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated, he defeated, defeated Satan, and Satan received a fatal blow. We haven't yet seen the full outworking of that yet, but it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. But he also said that Satan would bruise mankind on the heel. Anybody here ever had a bruised heel? Ever had one? Anybody see your head? Ever had a bruised heel? I've had a bruised heel. What's it like? It's extremely painful. And what does it affect? It affects your walk. You don't walk so good when you have a bruised heel. You limp. You hobble. And so when God was prophesying that Satan would bruise our heel, he's not, necessar- he's not talking about our physical heel. He's talking about the bruising that takes place inside of us. And Joel gave the illustration last week about dropping an apple, and you can, if you're at the supermarket, you can drop an apple on the floor, and you know, what, you know already that you don't want that apple, so you put it back on the pile, and some other unlucky person comes along and gets it, right? And uh, gets home, and after a few hours, he man, that apple looked great when I bought it. What happened here? Well, somebody else dropped it on the floor, and you were on the receiving end. I know you wouldn't do that, but I know it does happen, right? Right? Uh, So, we live in a fallen world that bruises us. Every one of us in this room here this morning, we have been bruised in various ways. Because life bruises us. We live in a fallen world. It bruises us. We have a sin nature. It bruises us. We have various things that happen to us in our journey through life uh, that are blows, that that bruises. And a bruise is an inner wound. It's not necessarily a wound that you see on the outside, but it's a wound that's on the inside. But what's on the inside, it doesn't take long before it comes to the outside. And it begins to affect uh, our ability to relate to other people. You know, some people have asked this question, you know, if God is a good God, why did he allow this to happen to us? Well, I think a better question is this. Since God is a good God, why do you want it to keep on happening? And so the whole goal of this series, oh man. So bruising, when bruising bruising happens to us, uh, one of the the most difficult wounds that we can face in life is rejection. And there's probably not one of us in this room here that has not faced rejection at various times in our life. And rejection is a, a bruising. Rejection is a blow that wounds us. Shame, shame is another bruise. Uh, Our shame is a result of bruising, and shame torments us, it rules us, it cripples us. We're not actually emotionally equipped to handle shame. We don't handle it well. We can't think normal. But God wants us healed. And in Isaiah 53, verse 5, uh, Isaiah prophesies, and he says this, talking about Jesus. But he was wounded for
1: our transgressions. Jesus talked about the fact that he was the Messiah
0: and the Spirit of God was upon him. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And so there is no bruising that is outside the scope of God's healing. Amen. You can be healed. I can be healed. So let's look at some steps to healing. We're just going to look at one step today. Uh, this is going to be a one-point a one message. It's not a three-point sermon. This is a one-point sermon. And what are we want to talk about this morning is inner honesty. What brings healing to us is honesty. Being honest about what I who I am, what I'm going through, what's happened to me. In 1 John 1 5, we have an incredible scripture, probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Because it's the starting place to describe God's nature. And it says this, and this is the message, First John 1, 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, what does it mean when it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? It's actually talking about truth. Light is synonymous with the truth. Darkness is synonymous with lies. So what it's saying about God is he's absolutely 100% true. There's no darkness in him at all. No lie in him anywhere. In fact, so much so that Proverbs 12:22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully... Or his delight. What that proverb saying? It's saying this. That God can only enter into relationship with you and I on the basis of what is true. That God will never enter into any kind of dialogue or any kind of connection with you or I based on falsehood. Based on lies. He doesn't relate to that. He can't relate to that. He only relates on the basis of what is 100% true. You know, he, Jesus had a, had a discussion one time with the Pharisees about who their father was. And the Jews were claiming, well, Abraham was our father. And, and Jesus came along in a shocking way. He said, no, he's not. The devil's your father. He, he told them the truth. He said, hey, Jesus, couldn't you just soften that a little bit? I mean, couldn't you just kind of, you know, take the edge off of that? Did you have to be so blunt? Did you have to tell him, listen, your father is the devil? Let's read it in John 8, 44. He says, you are are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. So in this verse, Jesus describes the nature of the devil. What's the basic nature of the devil? He's a liar. He's a liar. He cannot tell the truth. There is no truth in him at all. God is totally light. Satan is totally darkness. God is totally the truth. Satan is totally a lie. Anytime you and I are listening to him, you're listening to a total liar. Whenever he speaks a lie, this is what he said. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies that's a description of the devil can i tell you what's the definition of evil the definition of evil biblically is untruth and dishonesty see well i thought it was pride no it's not pride pride is simply being dishonest about your nature it's a false view of yourself when i am proud when i am boasting when i'm when i'm puffed up it's really, what I'm doing is, is exposing to you that I have a false view of myself. It's a lie. It's not the truth. So the, the root of evil is lies. And so you can't relate to anybody based on a lie. You can't have a relationship with God that's based on lies. You cannot relate successfully to other people if it's based on lies. It doesn't work. The relationship eventually will suffer. And if the falsehood continues, the relationship will eventually cease. God is committed to reality. He only works through the truth. Let's look at 1 John 1, 1.6. That's why religious posturing. That's why God hates religion. It's a lie. Uh, image, image casting. Is not, if it's not true, it's a lie. He, he doesn't relate to it. In 1 John 1, 1.6, it says this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, which is what? What's darkness? Lies. If we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, which is the truth, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, we know this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so it's clear that the truth is the basis on which we can have fellowship, relationship with one another. It's so important. It's so critical. So God is calling us into truth. See, well, I don't know if I can do that. You know, you can. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a born-again believer, let me tell you how you got saved. You got saved through an act of honesty. That's why you got saved. Because you, if you, you can't become a Christian without admitting that you're a sinner. You can't become a Christian unless you say, you know what? I am a mess. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Unless you come to that place Where you realize who you are, that you need a savior, you can't become born again. You can't be a Christian. And so you got, you became, you you entered into a relationship with God on the basis of, of of an honest confession, of just simply being real, of just simply being who you are. That's how you and I got saved. You admit who you are. You don't confess just your sins, you confess your sinfulness, I am, I, am a, I am a sinner, saved by grace. I confess my sinfulness. I confess that I have a fallen nature. You admit who you really are. But the z- very same thing that brought you into the kingdom is what keeps you moving on in the kingdom, what keeps you moving forward in the kingdom. I love this verse in Colossians 2, verse 6, which says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you get, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You did it through an act of honesty. How do I move forward in God? How do I grow as a Christian? How do I grow as a disciple the very same way? I just keep telling the truth. First of all, to me. About me. And then it enables me to tell the truth to you. And to the Lord. That's how I grow as a Christian. That's how I become a disciple. You know, you remember how it felt when you first got saved? Maybe you don't. Maybe you grew up in the house of God and you don't have a clear time. But I do. I remember when I got saved. I remember when I asked Jesus to come into my life. And how did you say, well, Dave, how did you feel afterwards? I mean, I was being interviewed by a a TV reporter. Their favorite question is, how do you feel? What were you thinking at the time? Uh, How did I feel? I felt amazing. I thought, whoa. I felt like a load of bricks just fell off my shoulder. I just felt so clean. I just felt so clear. I just thought, whoa, this is amazing. You know what? I can live like that all the time if I want to. I just have to keep telling the truth. Right? That's all I have to do. I didn't say it was easy. I'm just saying it's simple. <clears throat> but it's not just being honest about your sins. It's being honest about everything. It's about honest, being honest about how you feel, about your hopes, about your dreams, honest about your failures, honest about my fears. You know, fear is a result of bruising. Did you know that? And fear drives so many decisions in our life. So many of our decisions that we make, so many of our reactions are based on fear. So much of our anger is based on fear. Say, well, if you have an anger problem, let me tell you something. The root of your anger is most likely fear. That's what drives anger. So I If you're you're finding yourself blowing up or angry, you need to ask yourself one more question. What am I afraid of? Because there's likely fear that's feeding your anger. Say, I want to get rid of my anger. I want to to get rid of the anger. In order for you to get rid of your anger, you've got to get rid of your fear. This means you have to go a little deeper in your life and shine the light of God's truth on your innermost being say, I'm bruised. That My fear is a result of being bruised in some way. Could have been years ago. Could have been as a child. But my fear is a result of bruising. What In what area was I bruised? You need to shine the light on that. If you ask the Lord, he'll show you. He'll help you. You know, one of the interesting contrasts in Scripture uh, is... King Saul versus King David. We, we know those two stories well. And when you look at King Saul and ask yourself this question, how many deep relationships did King Saul have? I think the answer is none. He didn't have a relationship with God. He had a religious posture before God, but he didn't have a relationship with God. He was anointed of God, but he didn't have a relationship with man either. He didn't have any friends that I know of. He didn't even relate well to his family He actually wanted to kill Jonathan one day because he had a lick of honey. He eventually died on Mount Gilboa and his sons died with him. He didn't end well. You know, when they first called Saul to be the first king of Israel, they couldn't find him. He was hiding in the baggage, it says literally, physically hiding. That should have told them a lot right there. This is not the right guy. Because he wasn't just hiding on the outside, Saul lived his whole life hiding on the inside. Now Saul came from a pretty good family. a fairly prominent family. He was a very gifted guy. And he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. The problem is he never could stop hiding. He never shone the light of truth in his own life. You know what the Bible tells us is that he actually loved David. He loved David. Yet he tried to kill him. He was afraid of David. David threatened him. He was insecure. When Saul was hiding in the baggage, it wasn't because he was physically afraid. It wasn't because he was so humble. He was hiding in the baggage because he was terribly insecure. That fear was ruining his life and ultimately destroyed his life. When he was confronted by Samuel, he didn't respond. He would just make excuses. He was more interested in his image before the people. He was more interested in Samuel honoring before the people. He was never interested in dealing with with, with the confrontation that Samuel the prophet had in his life. He would never respond to it. He wouldn't respond to the truth. He just made excuses. David, in contrast, was the opposite of Saul. David came from a poor family. David was the eighth son. David was nobody David faced rejection from his own father. David faced rejection and mocking from his brothers, his older brothers. Uh, he, he had no status whatsoever. Uh, he, Of course, we know David is killing Goliath. <clears throat> and he was King Saul's greatest asset. Yet Saul tried to kill him over and over and over again. And yet David, on the other hand, if anybody had a rejection wound, it should have been David. He should have been just an absolute mess. But he wasn't. He was an amazing guy. He had an incredible relationship with God. He had friends. He had had the 30. He had amazing friends, not just Israelite friends, but he had friends from other other nations that were willing to lay their lives down for him and did in many cases. Why? What was so great about David? Did David sin? Yes, he sinned grievously. He committed his coarse adultery with Bathsheba. He killed Bathsheba's husband. He was a murderer. And when Nathan the prophet confronted him, that was a pretty scary thing for our prophet to do in those days. Kings had a a tendency to kill the messenger. And so when Nathan came to David to confront him about his sin, uh, he didn't kill Nathan, he responded to Nathan. And I think one of the keys to David's life was when he wrote Psalm 141, he said this, he said, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not not let let my head refuse it. In other words, David could be challenged. You could speak truth to David. Nathan said, you're the guy. You're the man. You did it. And David responded. Because David would allow the light to shine on his sin. He would allow the light to shine in his inner life. That was the key to David's life. When Jesus confronted the rich young ruler and said to him, you know what? You just lack one more thing. You just need to give up all your cash. You know what? He didn't like it. He didn't like it. He wouldn't receive it. He missed the kingdom. When John the Baptist and Jesus told the Pharisees about their life, they didn't like it. They missed the kingdom. When God came to Cain and confronted Cain about his anger Because his sacrifice wasn't accepted. God confronted him. and said, come on, Cain. If you do well, if you just do the right sacrifice, I'll receive you. Not a problem, Cain. Cain got angry. Killed his brother. Missed the kingdom. You know, God told Elijah the truth about his life. When you read the story of Elijah, he was doing great. Killed the prophets of Baal. uh, 450 prophets of Baal in Mount Carmel. Called down fire from heaven. Outran Ahab's chariot. And then Jezebel sent him a little note and said, if you're still alive this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And the Bible, if you go read the story of Elijah, when he, got, when he got that note from Jezebel, it says he was afraid. It was a bruising. It was a blow that hit Elijah and it created a root of fear in him and he started running. And he, he sunk into a depression. He ran and he went and hid in a cave. And it's interesting that when God showed up, he, asked, he kept asking Elijah this question. Hey, Elijah. Hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? Hey, Elijah. And Elijah would make excuses. Oh, well, man, they, you, know, uh, you know, I killed all the prophets of Baal and Israel didn't respond and... I'm the only guy left. And he was really mad. He was angry. He was blaming God. He was blaming Jezebel. He was blaming Ahab. And he was blaming the nation of Israel. You guys didn't respond. I gave it my best shot. Cold fire down from heaven. And it didn't work. We didn't have revival. And now they're trying to kill me. Now they're trying to take my life. And I'm the only guy left. And what does God tell him? Uh, not true, Elijah. I got 7,000 more that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only guy left. And so God just kept telling Elijah the truth. Kept just digging in. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's time for you to get over your your hissy fit. It's time for you to get over your anger. It's time for you to humble yourself, boy. And he came out, and of course, he responded. And God recommissioned him. And he continued on and fulfilled the ministry that God had for him. He didn't like it, but he responded. Can I say this to you? The truth that will set you free is always the truth that will offend you the most. I'll say it to you again. The truth that will set you free is always the truth that will offend you the most. And so when the truth comes, you stand at an intersection. Many times, if you want, you can become offended. You react. You can become offended at that truth. But you know what? That is the very truth that will heal you, that will set you free. And so we have examples of people who got offended at that truth with, with dire consequences. And then you have people like David, people like Elijah, who responded, and they went on to even greater things. If you read the Psalms of David, you will see that David always applied the truth to his inner bruises, and was healed. You know, after he, he, uh, he committed the sin with Bathsheba, and after he murdered her husband, he wrote Psalm 51. And we don't have time this morning to read the whole psalm, but the psalm shows you his confession, how David let the truth begin to shine in on his life as to why he did such a horrible thing. And he says, and I'll just quote part of it. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. That's what he says. That's what David writes. You desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. What is a clean heart? It's a heart that bathes itself in the truth.
1: And renew renew a steadfast steadfast
0: spirit spirit within me. me. And do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with the willing spirit. Can I say this this to you, church? You're only as sick as the secrets that you hide. Those secrets that you hide from God. And ultimately you hide them from yourself. If you're in denial. You're not in touch with the truth. And you can't. You know. If I'm in denial. I have maybe negative feelings. And all kinds of bad feelings inside. And, and, I, and I, if I'm in denial. I can never get rid of those feelings. I can never deal with them. Because they're, they're true. Those feelings are true. And you're not. And that's why you can't get rid of them. You can't touch the bruised areas in your life, and God won't touch them if you will not allow the light to shine on those bruises. And so when we're truthful about who we are, and then you'll find out that God begins to come in and begins to help you and begins to heal you. The most powerful thing you can do is look in the mirror and tell yourself the truth. Just never mind all this stuff, never mind all excuses, just tell yourself the truth. That's the way to, that's the way to become whole. And one of the strongest, most manipulative fears is the fear of rejection. It's one of the worst. And if you're by that fear, then you become manipulative. You become controlling. You begin to reject. And when you start rejecting others, you start in, inflicting the same wounding on others that you're wounded with yourself. And you're not, you can't, you don't have great relationships because... If I'm, not, if I'm not genuine, I can't have genuine relationships because it's not real. You can only relate to somebody on the basis of what's real. Anybody that has strong, lasting relationships, that means there's truth in that relationship. That's why it's real. That's why it's strong. <clears throat> let me just kind of close this by, let me, let me go on a little bit of a tangent. It's part of it. But well, one of the problems in our society today is that we're really we're really big in our society on self-esteem. And uh <clears throat> and we emphasize it. And I've seen it with parents with kids. I've seen it I've seen it in society and we tell our kids this, you know you can be anything you want. You can be anything you want. We try to we try to pump up our kids' tires. You can be anything you want. You you just you know, you want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor. You want to go play in the NHL, you can be a play in the NHL. You can just, you want to be a star in a basketball court, you can be a star in a basketball court. You want to be the top of your class at school, you can just be anything you want. You know what, that's not true. Stop it. Stop it. It's a lie. It doesn't work. You're actually hurting your kids. But our society emphasizes self-esteem, but they do not emphasize self-awareness. And there's a big difference between self-esteem and self-awareness. Self-awareness is telling yourself the truth. Self-esteem is a lie in many cases. Now, I believe that our kids should have good self-esteem, but not by me pumping up their tires artificially or telling them lies. That does not help my kids or my grandkids. Self-esteem is this idea that kids need to have a positive outlook on life. I agree with that. I think our kids do need to have a positive outlook in life. They need to love themselves, but they need to love themselves in a right way. And I think that what's happening in our society is killing our kids, ruining our kids, not helping our kids. You know, when my kids were young, I was more concerned about their Joel and Tracy's self-awareness than I was about their self-esteem. Now, I encouraged my kids, but I would not lie to them told them the truth. And I was more concerned that they could tell themselves the truth about life, about who they were, who they are, that they could face the truth about themselves. I was more concerned about that because if they have good self-awareness, they will have good self-esteem. Self-esteem comes with self-awareness. So as a parent, I want to concentrate on self-awareness, not on self-esteem. One of them say, well, how do you know how your kids are doing? Well, some people say, well, I really watch how my kids interact with their peers. Well, that's good, but I, I, I watch how my kids interacted with adults. I want to see how Joel and Tracy could handle himself with an adult, in a conversation with an adult. That will tell you more about your kids than watching them relate to their peers. How do they relate to adults? Can they, can they actually engage in a conversation? Um, because adults are more, obviously more intimidating and more mature, stronger. How, 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 how does my kid line up in that kind of environment? And I've seen kids, they don't, know how, they don't know how to respond to an adult. They turn away, they drop their head, they go hide in the corner, they refuse to talk. What's that telling you? It's telling you that, you know what, my kid needs some work, an area of self-awareness, and I need to help them. <clears throat> I'm not against self-esteem if it's based on what's true. But what makes you successful in life is self awareness. And I want my kids and my grandkids to be successful in life. What many parents miss is that if you raise a kid who's self aware, you get self esteem thrown in. But if you raise a kid who simply has good self esteem, you get neither. Three reasons why self awareness should matter to parents. Number one, self awareness, and this is also true of you, by the way, as an adult. Self-awareness produces confidence in your kids and confidence produces self-esteem. Number two, self-awareness makes your kids' others focused, which is about what this whole series is about, because they become confident and understand their strengths and limitations. It allows them to flourish and not have to pretend to be something they wish they were but are not. Number 3 self-awareness allows your kids to see themselves as a desperate sinner they are. Because if I am a desperate sinner, then I have confidence in a sinless savior. <clears throat> Here's what I've learned. If kids are nurtured nurtured in self-esteem, they run away from the cross. But if kids are nurtured on self-awareness, they run right for the cross. I want my kids and grandkids running for the cross, not running away from it. work of the Spirit in my life, it blinds me to being receptive to the Word of God. A lack of self-awareness blinds me to personally applying the Word to my own life. It stops me from hearing... Uh, The commentary of the Holy Spirit on my life. It stops me from hearing what what God would speak to me through other people. It stops me from hearing it. Self-awareness enables me to understand I need a lot of grace. I need grace. And you know what? Self-awareness stirs up compassion in me for others. Which obviously has a lot to do with my ability to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. The gospel of Jesus is not a message that says, I'm okay, you're okay. That's not what the gospel's saying. You know what the gospel of Jesus is saying? You're a mess and I'm a mess. <clears throat> Seeing ourselves as messes is a little counter- countercultural to our society. But you know what? It produces a revolution in your heart. And to the degree that we as a congregation can see ourselves in reality, it produces revival. It produces revolution. In us as a congregation. Let me tell you about Harvard City Church. If you're looking for a fellowship of the self-righteous. You came to the wrong place. This is not it. You know what this fellowship is? This is a fellowship of sinners. That's what Harvard City Church is. You say, well, what do you got? Hey, Dave, you, got a lot of, you got a lot of great people here. That's right, we do. They're all sinners. We have a pastor who's, a, who's got a sin issue. He's, got a, he's a sinner. Did you know that? And you got a former pastor. He's a sinner too. Right? And even his wife, even the former pastor's wife, is a sinner. It's hard to believe that. <clears throat> you maybe have never seen her sin. I've only seen it once, one time. Uh, <laughs> she's going to preach in the series somewhere on the line, probably in trouble here. Um, but can I tell you something? We're a company of sinners who are opening themselves up to the amazing grace of God. That's who we are. So if you came to this church saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm expecting perfection here, or I'm expecting, uh, you know, that I would never be offended, or no, no, never, never be uh, hurt, hey, this isn't the right church for you. I don't know where that church exists, but it is isn't this one. This is a real church, right, with real people, at all different stages of their journey. And if we're all self-aware, we'll, we, have, we have forgiveness and tolerance for one another. If we're not self-aware, we won't. That's what it boils down to. If we're self-aware, we'll have genuine relationships here. And I believe there's many, many people in this congregation that have good self-awareness skills. And you can have genuine fellowship and relationships with them. But you know what? The issue is not others. The issue is me. Do I have good self-awareness skills? Can I speak the truth in my own life? Am I honest about Dave Wells? Can I hear the Holy Spirit's commentary? Can I hear the commentary through you? Can I hear that? That's the that's the key. That's the key to relationship. That's the key in marriage. That's the key with your kids. That's the key in the body of Christ. That's the key in your relationships at work. It's always, it's just the key. Let's stand. <clears throat> Let's just close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this congregation this morning. I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you, Lord, that... God, you know we're bruised. And Father, we know it too. And Lord, we want to be healed. We want you to come into our lives and shine the light on those areas of our life that cripple us. Those areas of our life where we have a bruised heel that stops, affects our walk. Those areas of our life, Lord, where we're angry or we're insecure or we're fearful or discouraged. Lord, I just pray that you just minister your healing grace to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not be afraid to allow the light of your word to shine on us. Lord, Holy Spirit, create a clean heart in us. Create a clean heart in us, Lord. God set us free. Lord, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, help us to embrace the truth that tends to offend us. That God, instead of being offended, we realize this can set me free. I pray you'd help us. Give us courage this morning. Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Lord, to walk just being real, walking in humility, humbling ourselves before your word, humbling ourselves in prayer, humbling ourselves before our family, before our spouses, before our kids our co-workers, whoever they are. doesn't matter whether they are a believer or not a believer. Help us to be a lovers of the truth. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be children of the light, not children of the dark. Help us, Lord, to come into the light and let your light shine on every area of our lives in the name of Jesus. God, we pray in this series, as we continue to emphasize this over the next few weeks, that, God, we come out on the other side stronger, more whole than we've ever been. And Lord, we pray for our kids today. We pray for our grandchildren, our children, those who are walking with the Lord and those who are not. God, we know the answer for them to be successful in life is to be self-aware, is to allow your truth to come into their lives, to bring healing to them. Lord, we pray you'd shine the truth into the darkness of our kids' and grandkids' lives and set them free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing in our lives, and our heart, and what you're going to do. And we release ourselves into your care in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church. If anybody wants prayer, if you feel like, hey, I'd just like somebody to pray with me, you just make your way up here and we'll, we'll be glad to do that. God bless you. You're free to go.
1: Hey everyone, I just wanna thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We hope you enjoyed it and found something that spoke to you or blessed you in some way. That really is the heart of Harvest City Church, that you take what you've heard, learned, or experienced here and then go out and share that good news with others. So go ahead and post this video to your page, start conversations and who knows the lives that God could transform through it. If we can support you in some way in this season, please let us know. Maybe you've decided to dedicate your life fully to Jesus. We want to hear about it and celebrate with you and help you in those first steps. Connecting in to share the joys and the struggles of life is why we're here. Finding community is super important too, so if you're wondering about any of our programs for kids, youth, or adults, just reach out to us by phone or at the link below and we'll be in touch. To all of those who are partnering financially with us, thank you for your investment into the kingdom of God. It allows us to do what he's calling us to and reach even more people. For more info on that, go over to harvestconnect.ca slash give. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our live stream chat area at harvestconnect.ca slash live. It's a great place for interaction, commenting, prayer with our online hosts and more. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our social pages and all that good stuff too. Take care. Keep living your call and we'll see you again real soon.